This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture, with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. I don't know if you know this, but social media is a thing, and that's what we're talking about today. Social media for architects. Today's episode is brought to you by Centria. Find new freedom to create. Hi, everyone. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today we're talking about social media for architects, a topic that we feel extremely well qualified to talk about. Today's episode is loosely based on a presentation that I used to give. Andrew's actually heard it maybe once or twice. Or four times. No. I've heard it more than twice. Practice doesn't count. (laughs) On social media presentation called The Good, Bad, and the Crazy. You heard the very first time I ever presented that presentation. Actually, yes, I was I in your office when I wrote it <laughs> and then delivered it. <laughs> Two hours later. Two hours later. Yeah, yeah. So the thing with social media is that there are a lot of people out there that hold themselves out as experts. And if I'm being forthright, those people drive me crazy. There is a big difference between knowing what you should do when it comes to social media and then actually being able to execute that. Because just because I know how to lift 400 pounds doesn't mean I can lift 400 pounds. Or you may have tried and totally failed. Yeah. Or what if I'm telling you how to lift 400 pounds and I make you blow out your back? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pull my, both of my arms out of socket like those old Saturday Night Live skits. Yeah, the Hans and Franz. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's what we thought. This would be a good topic for us. Easily, for me, for sure. This could be like 10 hours of podcast. Sure. I'm pretty sure that most people would want to kill themselves after 10 hours of podcast on social media. Set after an hour of podcast. Oh my God. Two hours. Yeah. That'd be rough. That'd, That'd be, be rough. Hard. What we're going to try to do is hit this from a high level with meat on the bones. A little bit of big with some zoomed in on some particular. Some parts of it. If I get too technical, some people are going to go, I don't know what he's talking about. And if I'm too abstract, people are going to say it doesn't have any value. Yeah. So we're going to have a combination of what I know because I've been in the game here for a long time doing this. Yes. Didn't have any idea what I was doing. Yes. Still don't know what I'm doing. Okay. I mean, from personal experience, I can say what I've done. These are the decisions I've made. This is why I've made them. This is the fruit that I've reaped from those decisions. Yeah, but those decisions and applications and outcomes are different for everybody. That doesn't matter if I could know everything there is to know about this business, and that would still be true. Exactly. 100%. That's kind of what we're talking about. Social media really has to do with the social part. It's what you are bringing to the process. Mm-hmm. It's not a social media for dummies type situation. Definitely not trying to do that. I mean, not if you want to have success and connect with people. I don't think that you can be so prescriptive as to say, step one, do this. Yeah, I'm thinking about remembering that one time that we gave a, was it the panel discussion that we were on? When we were on the digital communications committee, and we gave that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That panel discussion and we didn't have any images or how-to stuff and so many audience got really been out of shape about it. you were supposed to tell us exactly how to do it so it would work and we would be successful and we were like there's no such thing man yeah yeah we no. were trying to give you the ideas that you need to cultivate not here's step a through j and you're going to be a winner let's talk a little bit about the reasons for why somebody would want to participate in social media assuming there's a reason you want to do it it can't just be i do it because i think i should do it because that seems like what everybody's doing like there should be some sort of objective. You should have a reason as to why you're doing it. 
So that way there should be some consistency with how you actually implement whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah. And we're talking about this from a professional standpoint, not your. Yeah. Not my daughter. Not yeah. Or not activity. your personal. This is what I want to do, but cultivating a professional identity on social media. Yeah. This is a branding exercise. Yeah. So you have to figure out what that message is and make sure that like a design concept, everything. Well, it's, not, well, it's not the message. It's why. It, right? Why are you doing it? Well, yeah. Not what the message is. Well, like, why would you do it? I mean, of course you have to figure out the messages. But you have to know, why do I have a message in the first place? What's my objective by participating? And what your goals are. Is it for things like developing culture at a firm? If you're a big giant firm, you're not getting your next stadium off of social media. So really, your social media platform is really trying to appeal to cultivate talent and talk about the culture in your firm. It's more of an internal mechanism than it is an outward one, in a way. Yeah, you're, mean, you're letting the yes, left outward, side. Of, but you're wanting. You're letting the left side of the office know what the right side of the office is doing. Or the because you're people so that want to come join the office. Here's what. Here's why you want to. Sure. This is how cool we are. Or this yeah. is what we focus on. Or those. Kind well, of that's things. all. Yeah. That's part of the culture, right? Yeah, hey, exactly. Dallas office. This is what the Baltimore office is currently doing. And then Dallas's office is, man, why can't we be in the Baltimore office? Yeah, I'm going to get a transfer. So that's a big part of it. And depending on the size of the firm, another reason why you might want to get into it is for business development. That could actually be your goal. It's a byproduct of why I'm still doing it, quite honestly, because I didn't start off. Business development was not my goal when I started. Yeah, it was a creative outlet. But yeah. It and something I, to fill your spare time with. That's right. But now... It is a part of the business development. And even though there are times that I really want to quit doing this, I can't because this is part of my business practice now. This Whoa. is part of my job descriptions to do this. I don't just do it for fun. It was elective when I started off doing it. Yeah. Now the ramifications go beyond. I'd be like a petulant child if I didn't do it. I'm not doing it because I don't want to do it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's part of my job, business development. So there's a reason why I continue to do it. I just try to find a way to where I can enjoy it. Because the truth is, is I do almost all of it on my own time and after hours. Yeah. And there for a while, it was a beating. Yeah. I mean, not that it's not, but a different kind of beating. Well, case in point, it's Friday night, 9.03 p.m. Yeah. And we're recording a podcast. Partying like rock stars in your bedroom. Uh, Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, the the life. Groupies, (laughs) trips around the world. Yeah. I'm like, no, it's Friday night. We're parked in. I'm in my socks. I don't even have shoes on. (laughs) I'm very comfortable. Right sort now, of. we're actually sitting in two kitchen chairs. They're very the, uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> now that we've been sitting them for so long. So it, your motivations for doing it could change over time. Another reason that you started to allude to and I cut you off was to increase your visibility in the industry. And I will tell you that I am the poster boy for increased visibility. Literally. <laughs> I mean, almost. Right. I mean. No, I agree. I agree. It didn't take for maybe three months. Before, now, there wasn't as much space. I was in a field by myself at that point. Oh, yeah. It was a much smaller sphere at that point, That's I guess right. what you call it. Yeah. There weren't as many people doing it yet. And so it wasn't that hard to get as noticed. But it was. It was almost overnight. The perception of who I was changed. And I can tell you that I'm basically still the same person I've been from the time I started writing my website 10 years ago. But now people actually think I have something worth listening to. <laughs> Which is amazing. And the reason why it's amazing is I go, a hundred percent. How come nobody wanted to listen to me before? And now, Whoa. Yeah. I mean, there's something about sticking your head up for anybody to chop off and putting your opinion out there, right? That's not for everybody. Agreed. But if you don't do that, not for the thin skinned. 
Yeah. I mean, you have to have a conviction about the things you say. It's part of the reason why for a while I used to say, Hey, if you got an idea of something I should cover on the website, Hey, drop me a line. And so many people did it. And I was like, I have no passion for that topic, whatever it is. Yeah. And I go, no, I, I don't want to talk about that. I can't yeah. do it. Yeah. I mean, if I don't care, if it's just kind of like, okay, we're going to talk about how much iron oxide goes into clear glass. And oh my God, I want to kill myself right now. <laughs> it's funny. I chose glass. It's the Thanks, one glass industry. We appreciate it. Well, you know what? Glass, when you're doing your job, nobody's thinking about you. That's the point. Right, if somebody walks in and goes, oh my God, look at the glass. That's generally not a good thing. Yeah, right. The idea that I still feel like I'm the exact same person. And on one hand, I feel like I'm being rewarded for stepping up and having an opinion and trying to say, here's why what we do is important. Here's why you should hire architects. Here's what I'm doing. It's super cool. There's benefit to get from that. But there's also a lot of bad stuff that goes along with it. Yeah, but I also think, I think it would be difficult for anybody to have the same level of success at this point if they were trying to start out something like you did now because the number of voices are so vast you just happen to pop up at the right time and fill the right void not that it didn't have anything to do with who you are but that no i agree i agree with but that. that it was a everything was sort of fledgling at that point it was all brand new when i did it i got a lot of support in the beginning like one of the guys like really helping me out i go why are you doing this and he goes because there's no architects doing this he said, people need to hear your voice. And I didn't take, it was my actual voice. It was architects talking about what architects do in a way that's approachable to non-architects. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have a degree in architecture to read your blog post. Yeah, to understand yeah. what's going on. And so it kind of went on a trajectory that I don't think anybody saw happening. Like I remember, I used to really like construction drawings. Remember we were just talking about it, I think in a previous episode. In my first job, my boss was not around to like show me how to draw or lay out sets. So I went to other sets in the office and pulled them out and, and just figured it out. And I said, well, this is what they do on these pages. So that's what I'll do on those pages. Yeah. So the idea is you try to figure it out yourself. And in 2010, when I started to do this, I just did what made sense. But there wasn't even any, <laughs> there wasn't any other drawings to go put out of the drawer to look at for that. Right? That's I mean, right. It was, like, it was completely like, well, I'm just going to make it up. Yeah, and so that forced me to make a couple decisions that I don't think people would just intrinsically come to these days. I was horrified when I first started that I was going to sound like an idiot. I'm putting this in writing for anybody to like hold out as evidence as to why this is a terrible idea. Yeah. And it was very scary to do. Yeah. I learned that that was not actually the hard part of doing social media. The hard part was admitting to yourself that you can't pretend to be something you're not and sustain that over any length of time. So I knew when I started, could I pretend to be like super smart, the most erudite person you've ever met in your life? The depth of my knowledge is <laughs> The elitist profound. architect, yeah. Could I pretend to be that guy for a while? Absolutely. I could do that for a couple of years. I could do that for a while. I don't even know if I could do a couple of years, but I could certainly do it for a while. But I couldn't do it forever. Yeah. And then people would meet you or they'd meet me. They'd see me for who I am. Yeah. So you really are kind of laying yourself bare because I have this philosophy. Well, if you do it that way, as you alluded to earlier, a lot of people don't. A lot of people go into it trying to lay out the image of what they want to be perceived as as opposed to who they actually are. And it never works. Yeah, no. I mean, eventually at some point it comes back and bites you in the butt. Yeah, because someone's going to meet you and go, fraud. Yeah, you're a fraud. Exactly. Yeah, you're not that guy. So being able to go into it in the very beginning from the very get-go to say, 
I'm just going to be me better for worse. Horrifying idea. <laughs> I mean, I don't I think, think to you, I mean, I, I don't, I don't it, that. Yeah. I mean, I was never horrified by that fact. I still not ever really horrified by that fact, but yeah. Well, I guess I don't have as high opinion of myself as you have yeah, of you. I do whatever. I know better than that. <laughs> You're the I, one who just said I it. know better than that. I uh, have, I want to perform. That's, I'm motivated by That's it. different. No, no. Hey, tomato, tomato. So let's talk about, other than the reasons we've already kind of identified, which are things like culture and business development and increasing your visibility within the profession, which we kind of just skimmed the surface. You know, we didn't really say, hey, you can brand yourself as an expert in a particular area because that's what you talk about and you make that information public on platforms like Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, Twitter or whatever, whatever the case yeah, may sure. be. But one of the ones that I get asked about a lot, not so much anymore because I started talking about it, that information's out there and maybe it's not that hard to find, return on investment. Did anyone ever talk to you about return on investment when you were participating more heavily in yeah, social media? Yeah, I mean, when I was giving presentations, it was always that way. When I would go and give presentations at National about Twitter and Facebook, that it was like, yeah, so what do you get out of it? Why, why is this such a big deal? At that point in time, most of it was still just the brand recognition and spreading your stuff out and limited BD at that point. But still, I could count on it any time at the end where you're like, any questions? And people are like, hey, so. Yeah, how much money does yeah, it how much cost money you does to this, do this? And, and how, how much are you generating? Yeah, does how it make? Much, exactly. Always. Always, always, always. You know, so I started, I don't know, maybe it was about a year and a half ago. I started including the data on the finances from my site. I didn't really ever take advertising money, so to speak. I did in the beginning because I told my wife I would never let my hobby, quotes, detract from the household finances. Yeah. And so I thought someone would say, hey, I'll send you $50 for doing this. I was like, sure, that pays for my server for the next two months or three months yeah, or four months. Yeah, whatever. yeah, my domain for the year. Yeah, so I did that for a while. Then I realized this is not worth it, and I don't like the optics that's putting on me. So I, I shut it down. You know, I was active for probably a, I don't know, four-month period in the very beginning. So the numbers I'm going to talk about just real quick right now so we can put a scale to this are not advertising dollars. They're not offset in kind monies. This is all work that came into the office because of the blog. Now, I still had to make a presentation. We still had to close the deal, but we got to the table because of the blog site. Okay. Yeah. You still got to close it when you get there, but. Yeah, I still got to show them I can do the work. They can't just go, I read your blog. It's really funny. You're a funny guy here. We're hired. Here's You're some hired. millions. Do stuff. So I had this part that I talk about, show me the money. This is through 2018. I didn't go back and do the math for this first five months of the year. The architectural fees from 2010 to 2018 generated through the blog are just north of $3.3 million. Now that's just architectural fees. That's not consultant fees. So... Essentially, that's nine years. Yeah. And it was 300,000 a year or something. $3.3 like yeah. million. Dollars. And so, from the time I started, and I went in and I calculated from January 10th, 2010 to December 31st of 2018, the actual number worked out to be $1,500 a day generated in revenue, architectural fees from the blog. $1,500. Now, it's not Saturday and Sunday, that's just work days. But I'm sure also probably most of that is later loaded. In other words, most of that didn't come to probably like... Absolutely correct. Four years into whatever. It wasn't like day yeah. three, you no, were like, oh, absolutely. 1500 it, it took about four years before real projects started to come in. Yeah. Related to it, sure. And then okay. there were a bunch of really good projects in there. Like some great ones, some great clients. I mean, it was amazing. Yeah. I used to keep track of the time I spent on doing blog-related activities. Yeah. And so I did the math on that, and that worked out to be around $940 an hour. 
It's not bad. When I spend one hour on the computer doing blog-related activity, it generated $940 worth of income for the firm. Yeah. That's real money. Now, the thing that I don't get into, it's, it's not income the way that superficially it sounds like because we still had to do the architecture. We still had to pay for that. Yeah, and, and that's not hours that are attributed to that money. That's right. So I haven't, so, taken, so, yeah, out I haven't of, taken out the actual eight-hour workday that you used to do the work. You're just accounting for the one hour or two hours yeah, a day I'm just that saying, you used. Like if I had a out. marketing person whose job it was to do business development, and so they're not actually doing billable work, their job is, or the success of their job is, so how, much, how many projects did you work. bring in? Yeah. So that's what this number represents. I would look at it and say, if I had a marketing person for every one hour they worked, it generated almost $1,000 in business for me. I'd spend that money every day. Yeah, I'd hire them in a heartbeat. There's no question about that. The thing about that too is though, is that that's a pretty unique number. It's not typical for yeah, sure. Yeah, for anybody else that probably does this, at least in our profession. The thing that's really a kick in the pants on this yeah. is that there are people that are probably having better success than I was in terms of sheer numbers now with far less results because there's so many more people doing it. Yeah, and the landscape's changed so much That's right. in the past decade. I actually think blogs like mine are dying. I don't think that people are interested in blogs like they used to be 10 years ago. No, it's podcasts now. Yeah, it's, it's what we're doing right now. <laughs> That's right. But it's also, it's a bunch of other things. But generally, I don't think people want to read anymore. They certainly don't want to read a 1,500-word article even if there are lots of photos interspersed to try to distract you from how from long how long you're reading it actually is they want to digest their content in like images Pretty five quick. second bites of video you know and if they like it then there's ways for them to go get more you know i was thinking about that i'm trying to remember it's been within the last i want to say the last several years that everything that you at least me when i look at stuff on the internet there's a little thing that says five minute read or 10 minute read yeah it tells you how long it should take you to read it. And that's a new thing, I think, that speaks to the point that you're making, is that people don't want to read or they want to know before they click the link, how much time are they going to have to spend to consume this information? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to invest four minutes of my time, but I'll, I'll give you three. Yeah. I need to know. That's a new information set that showed up in the past couple of years. Well, I think that there's a lot of ways for you to go down rabbit holes and spread yourself too thin because there's a million social media platforms oh, yeah, that are out there. Yeah. I did some research. I started off with a, what are the most used social media platforms? And if I scratch out the ones that to the vast majority of these readers, they don't know and just stick with, with ones that we do know. Now I shouldn't put it that way because it makes it sound like these aren't the biggest. These are the biggest. I got rid of Badu, which is a Chinese search engine. Mm -hmm. And I got rid of a platform called QQ and I'm ignoring WeChat and Snapchat as business platforms. Yeah. Snapchat's an interesting one because when we interviewed Laney, he was talking about using Snapchat for his business. Yeah, it's new. I think that the demographic that's on Snapchat at this point doesn't make it a player as much as say yeah. the five that I'm about to rattle. No, up. I agree. There's not owners on there. Okay. The number one. The big fish, which I don't know if it will surprise you. It still surprises me that it is where it is. It's Facebook. Facebook has 2.23 billion monthly active users and over 65 million businesses using their platform. That's crazy. That's amazing. But I'll say I use it. I have a Life of an Architect Facebook page. Yeah, I mean, my company's got a Facebook page. It generates more traffic for me. Does it really? And I get more engagement on Facebook still. Still, that's interesting. 
Because I feel like in the past couple of years, they've been getting beat up on so much that so many people are kind of bailing on it. Well, you know, maybe last year they were at $2.9 billion, yeah. and this year they're at $2.23 billion. I mean, they've still got the largest market share for sure. Yeah. What's interesting is number two is YouTube. YouTube has $1.9 billion monthly. I'm, that's billion if I'm not enunciating. Yeah, that's with a, a lot. Yeah. $1.9 billion monthly active users. And I can tell you that I don't personally use it. I've made a couple videos and I would have just put them directly on my website, but they were too big. So I had to put them on YouTube and then put a link from YouTube in. in. It's the only reason why I've done it. Yeah. But we know people that use YouTube to deliver the vast majority of their content. Yeah. I mean, almost exclusively, that's what they use. It makes sense from the visual standpoint of the profession. It's just, man, that is a whole nother skill set. You think this is time consuming podcast stuff. The video production is, to me, even more. And can you imagine how neurotic architects are about their video? It's not like a piece you'd see on the five o'clock news yeah. that they've chopped together on the truck on the drive back to the station. And it went from camera to tape rolling on your television in 11 minutes. No, yeah, it's probably, you know, 11 days, 11 months worth of preparation. Yeah, to and get, they're like, oh, my get God. five minutes. Oh, you clipped this by eight degrees. Yeah. I mean, oh, God, that'd be the worst. But YouTube is yeah, one of the of people. biggest platforms. The next one is Instagram with 1 billion monthly active users. And I got to tell you, if there was ever a platform that was tailor-made for architects and contractors, builders, it's Instagram. I mean, it's quick, digestible, and it's all visual. I mean, you can look at pictures and, I mean, there are captions and stuff, but you don't have to read them. You can just look at the pretty well, stuff. Well, I also like that there's stories and you can do live video on it. Like you can stream live to people. Now, there's certain kind of checks along the way when you just start off and you don't have that many followers. If you want to put a link to something, you have to say link in bio. No, no I'm aware. You got to reach a certain level of followers before you get certain stuff. That's right. It's like everything else. It's like some video game where you got to level up before you can get the next stuff. Yeah, you can't get that gun until you've completed this area. Which is somewhat annoying. And the other thing, again, with all of these that sort of drives me bananas is the, the algorithm shifts and stuff that have happened lately. But we may get into that later. Yeah, I don't really love that. I will say that I have a fairly robust Instagram feed. It's robust for our niche industry. But the thing that bothers me is I have to monitor and police the comments on my posts there a thousandfold over any other platform I use. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, the amount of garbage comments, the ones that they're not really nasty. Most of them are like, come here for, yeah, you know, check out Viagra. Me. Yeah, yeah. They're all advertising almost. There's a lot of, I mean, more so than any other of the platforms that are on this list. That one has the most management associated with it. But to me, it also takes the most time. There may be one more that if you really want to get engagement, you got to spend a lot of time on. But if you want to get a lot of engagement on Instagram, it's one of those things where it's the quantity of... You got to constantly feed it. Yeah. In order to get the way the algorithms work now. Okay. So I have two more on my list and I'll say them quick. And these are the platforms that I use. I use every single one. Well, I don't use YouTube. I use all the other ones. I have Twitter with 335 million monthly active users. That's crazy. That's a big drop. It's a huge drop, but I don't use it very much anymore. I know. I use it to engage with people who engage with me. I don't go actively seeking content from Twitter. And I know friends of mine that do. It's more news related, politics related. Yeah. The way that I used to use Twitter, I don't use it that way anymore. I mean, me neither. I don't spend much time on there at all anymore. Either. I don't see a lot of engagement from business to client happening on Twitter either. 
No, it was more B2B at some point for me, but it was all just architect to architect. I was making professional people, but now I don't have to do that. But one where I never got the idea that you could get business out of it. You could do BD out of it. I mean, you could definitely put yourself out there and broadcast your brand and become an expert on something through that medium. But that would have been the point that I would have added that Twitter out of all these other ones, with the exception of maybe LinkedIn, Twitter is a way for you to put yourself out there to your user group. What I mean is people that do what you do or the people that you're trying to reach. You can put yourself out there and they'll find you. They're looking. Yes. And if you're in a position to hold yourself out as knowledgeable or instructive in a certain area and you're helpful and you're engaged, they will find you on Twitter. Yeah. Quickly. For sure. I agree. And then the last one. The last one on my list was LinkedIn at 294 million active users. I kind of like LinkedIn. I kind of don't. Well, I like it less than I used to. Because now most of the contacts I get are people who want to do 3D renderings for me. <laughs> I got so many of those. That's funny. I read an article once where it was talking about how you shouldn't connect with people that you don't know. Like, let's say. I don't. It'll say I let you connect with me. Yeah. Well, now you have access to my entire network. Mm-hmm. And if I'm selling vinyl Something. flooring, of course, I want to connect with you, with the architect. Because then I have access to all the other architects that are in your, your network. Mm-hmm. The more visible you are the easier it is for people to find you, to use you as a device or a vehicle to get to other people. I actually, it's been a couple of years that I've stopped. Like if I don't know you, if you're just some random person, eh, no. I had a, I I had a rule. I don't accept it. I accept invitations no matter what, if you're an architect. Okay, I get that. Yeah, I mean, there's certain, I mean certain, certain things. Yeah. I would give you that. But if you're a civil engineer and you're in Abu Dhabi, why do you want to connect with me? It makes me think it's disingenuous, like it's a bot doing it. Well, and for me, it was even when it first started, I would like, okay, do we have any other contacts in common? And if we do, how many of them and where are those people located? If you're a civil engineer and you're, if you're somewhere else in the United States that I'm not really doing work or don't really think I'm going to do work, I'm not going to connect with you. I mean, no offense, but yeah, like why, why am I doing this? Yeah, right? yeah why so would you do it? Yeah. Life of an Architect will be back in just a moment. We're sitting here with Kim Snyder, Centria Product Manager of Insulated Metal Panels, and Julie Schessler, Product Manager for Range Screen Systems. And we're here to talk about all the amazing things that Centria brings to the marketplace. Kim oversees strategic product planning, sales strategy, and market analysis for FormaWall with red, list-free foam insulation, Centria's premier insulated metal panel system, integrated form of view windows, as well as industrial commercial IMP products. Julie collaborates with the company's sales, marketing, and research and development departments to promote Centria's metal wrap insulated composite backup panels, intercept modular metal panels, and the complete line of single skin rain screen systems. Julie brings extensive experience in architectural and product management and marketing to her role with Centria. So we're here to sit with you guys. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah. Are you excited? We're so excited. Yeah. We're excited to have you here. So let's talk about, let's talk insulated metal panels. Great. You know that's my passion. I believe it. What do I need to know? Do you even know what an insulated metal panel is? I do. Of course. Well, let's pretend I don't. I'm I'm going to use them. Of course I know what they are. Just asking because there are people that don't know what they are. So an insulated metal panel is a panel system, a single component panel system that is comprised of two exterior steel skins, usually your exterior face and your liner, and then sandwiched in between them is a foam system. Centria uses a PIR foam system, which is polyisocyanurate system. 
That's I mean, just very chemist. No, that's my favorite word. He had his favorite one yesterday, but polyisocyanurate is my favorite yeah. word. And see, my background is chemistry too, so I love seeing those words that intimidate other people. Intimidate. Yes. yes. Sure. Yes. Well, let's talk about the benefits of that product. One of them being it's a single component system. So when you compare it to a traditional wall assembly system where you have your five layer system outboard of your framing and then in your exterior cladding. The IMP system is just an all-in-one system. You don't need to put anything else behind it. It attaches right to the frame. And that equals superior performance, I would venture. Yes. The superiorness of it is because it's an all-in-one system, but it is mostly the foam system. I wanted to ask you a question about the importance of integrated components. So integrated components is important because you're able to not only put up your panels the normal way that you or an installer would, the integrated components actually completes the thermal performance and your building performance, the entire building enclosure system. So when you install your panel, you also install your integrated components like a window, your former view windows, which Century offers. A little buzzword, a little that is promotional a, that's thing That's a good buzzword too. Yeah, you love it. So it goes in seamlessly. It installs seamlessly like a panel so you can just keep going around the building and not have to a window guy come in, for example, or another louver company or another sunshade company come in to do anything. But it really encloses the building faster. It keeps the high performance system. So your thermal performance, your R value of your panel stays intact. Your air barrier system stays intact. Your water vapor system stays intact. So there's no leaking. There's there's no element can get into that building. I mean, that's Let's kind hope. of the, that's the goal of the, of the assembly, right? Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Also, that keeps it all single sourced. Exactly. So that the control is much better. That's exactly right. Can you talk a little bit about the form of wall and form of view and how those things work together? So form of view is our window system, our Centria window system. The integrated system goes into form of wall, which is our insulated metal panel. Form of view has the same joinery as our form of wall product. Form of wall insulated metal panel comprises of our pressure equalized joinery for our horizontal orientation, which is the most popular orientation for form of wall. So our window system, which is form of view window system, interlocks with that horizontal joint, just like it's another panel. So when you look at it, you see the panel joint, and then you see the window joint, which matches the form of wall panel. So it just really just seamlessly goes in like a panel. There should be no break in installation at this point. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool, actually. Yes, it is. No other company does that. So when you have a non-Centria window, for example, they'll use flashing around the window opening, and you have to have another guy come in to do glazing and all yeah. of that. None of that makes sense. It doesn't. No. Because... And I'm just thinking of the aesthetic cleanness of yes. that idea is really what I think is... When, I, when you're talking about it, that pops out of me. It's like, man, I can get all these nice lines, and everything's yes. going to line up, and it's yeah. going to be... Beautiful. Beautiful. If you'd like to learn more about Formal Wall and Formal View Windows, or if you'd like to learn more about the intercept modular metal panels that are offered by Centria, please visit centria.com forward slash life of an architect to find new freedom to create. I had to slog through. I make it sound like, oh, poor me. <laughs> but it would get out of control. And part of the reason I guess I'm bringing it up, I'll put a bow on it. And this is on my thing to talk in just a minute about is that there's a downside to achieving success. If you have certain goals in social media, if you achieve those goals, there's a cost that comes along with it that most people don't ever consider, even as a possibility. Sure. And that is all the extra effort work that's peripheral to the content that you created for mass consumption. So let's take a minute. Let's actually talk about the bad. Sure. You know, it does take a lot of time, but let me give you some data here. 
might blow your mind. So as of this recording today, I've written 905 blog posts and I have 43 sitting in the draft folder. That's in 10 years. I got you. So let me just ask you a generic question. It's like a bar test. What's the longest book you can think of? The S volume of Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> okay. So that, I, no, I, did, I don't I know. I, I don't know. I, War and Peace is one that. Yeah, that's that, always the big one, but I've never read it. No, I haven't read it either. So I looked up. Did you know that War and Peace, it's a long book. Yeah. And, and we've just acknowledged that neither of us have read it. <laughs> exactly. Because it's too long. It's too long. <laughs> it's so big. I bet like if you drove like an 18 wheeler and it was going to roll downhill, you could prop that book behind the tire. Yeah, scotch the wheels with it. And it would stop, right? You're like, it's not going to go down this hill. So War and Peace has 587,000 words in it. All right. For some comparison, just so you know, the entire trilogy of The Lord of the Rings contains 455,000 words. Well, technically it's 455, 125, but I'm I'm rounding. 455,000 words. That was going to be what I was going to say. That's your number? No, that was the book. Oh, uh, that was one of the Yeah, I was, gonna, I was thinking of that whole like set. So less than War and Peace. And it took J.R.R. Tolkien 12 years to, to write, write this. That. I've been at this for 10 years. The word count on my site, I just learned this. I clicked a button. I, this oh, whole, I was like, how did you do that? No, because I've been wanting to do it for years. WordPress, you can actually go to WordPress's own site if you use a thing called Jetpack. Mm-hmm. And it has a button that I've never pushed or a thing I never went to before. And it actually says things like how many articles did I write in a year? How many comments did I get for oh. that year? It had the whole thing. Oh, yeah. So I know by year what the word count for the blog posts that I've written. So to recap, 587,000. Yeah, yes, it's got to be more than more in peace or you wouldn't piece. be talking about it. 455,000. Uh, yeah. Mine, 921,000. 976 words just killing it that is crazy i mean that's a lot of words that is it took me 10 years to do that by the way well but that sounds about right if you said you have 905 posts even if those are a thousand words a piece well then that'd be 900,000. but that is still that's a lot of words man. that's a lot of that's words. a lot of words so that's that's a lot, just, and that's a lot of work well, I think that's really the that's point the you're point. getting at is that's a lot of work. It's and a lot extra of work time. and a yeah. lot of time. And it's almost exclusively off hours. It's not, this is not part of my day job for the yeah. most part. So another thing that's bad was stolen identity. <laughs> uh, that was, it's one of my favorite stories ever. I feel so bad for that woman. <laughs> well, there's, I, I do, but it's still, it's still like so insane to me that that's the level of somebody trying to do something. So, no, here's one of them. So I found out on Facebook, if people who are not your friends send you messages, a lot of times it gets diverted to like a special spam. Yeah, there's a spam folder for it or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And so I learned about it. I was like, oh, I got to go check that out. That's what I did. I, I went and I found out where it was and I looked at it. And there was this one woman, and I know her name because it's burned in my brain because I feel so bad for this person. Over the course of about nine months, these messages like, where are you, baby? And I miss you. And why are you ignoring me? A lot of that kind of stuff. And there was a message from what I can only assume is either her sister or maybe her daughter asking me if I knew this woman. Like, and, I mean, she'd had a pseudo relationship with you in some sense. No, because then really there's right. also a message like, hey, I'm at the airport. Where are you? And this all went on for a year and I didn't learn about it for like two years, like two years after that happened, all that messaging happened that I never saw. I only found it two years later. Brutal. Yeah, I feel terrible. I had nothing to do with it. 
Well, yeah, and I know, but it's still terrible that it's happened in your name, so to speak, right? It happened, I mean, that, that's, yeah. That's the bad part. I mean, you feel bad no matter what, but that somehow you were loosely associated with it. Yes, I've never had my identity stolen to punish me. They didn't like get my money. Yeah, you steal your credit cards. What they did is they wanted to pretend to be an architect because architects are friendly and honest and upstanding pillars of the community. George Costanza. And so there were a number of people that called me like out of the blue. I had a guy call me once and threatened to beat me up if I didn't stop asking his mom for money. (laughs) And I was like, I'm sorry, what? what? Yeah, I'm not that guy. And I was like, I really don't know you what you're talking about. must have a different Bob Borson. Well he, well, he turned, no, he's like, you're the architect and you do this. I mean, this person who pretended to be me, like pretended to be me, like, look me up. Like, look me up, bro. Yeah. <laughs> like really challenging. And Go like, check it out. I yeah. got a website. Yeah. yeah. So he would just, like literally everything. He's like, yeah, that's me. All that's me. So you got. That's crazy. And then he would steal money from him or something. I'm going to design your new house. I'm going to need a retainer. No, one of them was one of the ladies I spoke with. She was very proud of herself because she hadn't been duped. Like she actually decided to do a little sleuthing on her own and called me up and said, have you and I been talking to each other? And I was like, no. You're like, "Uh, other than this conversation? Yeah, this is the first time. She's like, well, I'm an elderly Jewish woman. I'm in New York. It baffles me that somebody would be able to feel like they're making a connection without actually ever seeing that person face to face. I mean, I'm not, I know it happens. So she said, so we haven't talked and we haven't been chatting. I was like, no, I'm sorry. It's, it hadn't been me. And she goes, I didn't think so. I'm not the guy who you've been talking with. The red flag was he being me, I guess, the pretend me, said that I was doing a project in the UK and I had this very specific material I needed to finish the project and it was being held up in customs and I needed some money to help pay the tariffs so I could get it out of customs. Nice. You were an internet scam. Yeah. And she goes, that didn't sound right because architects are rich. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, uh, wait. I was like, well, you, you were right about all that up to, up the, to a certain that, point. that last part. I had hacking on here. My site got hacked nonstop for about a year. A, oh, about right? two years. Really. Yeah, it was brutal. And it was a lot of blunt force kind of stuff. Because the only reason why when I say this is bad, why, why would anybody care? The idea is that if you're a small firm and there's not a lot of people like you don't have a dedicated IT person in your office. Yeah. You're, dealing You're dealing with, with this all the time. And the site would go down. And if I wasn't on top of it like crazy, it's a big problem. And even then you were spending three hours on the phone trying to get it figured out in a day. And yeah, nobody the next day it turn is. around it happened the same thing or whatever. It was terrible. And it really came from the idea that it was just mine, just me doing all of it. And it got big enough to where it drew the attention of people that try stuff out. Like, can I do this? Can I do that? I don't know ultimately I don't think I'm who they're after. Can I use life of an architect to throw the election? Let's do it. Yeah. Can I use the computing <laughs> power that's associated with the server? So hacking happened and it was a giant time suck for the two years. I probably spent as much money trying to solve and deal with the hacking that everything else associated with the site cost. Like a double yeah, my expenses for, the, for those two years. Again, that's a level of success that most people might not manage to have they to might not. bother with. Okay, well, let's talk about this because you and I kind of broached this and and I think we agreed to a certain extent, which seems to be how we do everything. And I, I go, emails make me feel like total crap. Yeah. It's nowhere near what it used to be, but I bet at the peak of the site, I probably was getting 100 emails a week from people asking real questions, not not, not spam bots. Yeah. Ones that would take me 
some time to put together a considered response and to actually type it up. Say somewhere in the five to 15 minute range. I still have it and I should just respond to it one of these. Now it's weird because it's been too long. I got an email from a guy who's in the military and he wants to be an architect when he gets out of service. Yeah. And he goes, he's sitting on the boat and he's reading the website and it's meaning a lot and he's learning a lot and he thinks it's great and he wished more people. And I'm like, that guy deserves a response and not a thanks, peace out, Bob. Yeah. Appreciate your service. No matter what I do, I feel like total garbage. Well, yeah, we were talking about it, right? They did 100 a week, even if it's 10 minutes. Uh, what is it? 1,000 minutes? Yeah. That's a lot of time in a week to sit down and just answer emails. Yeah, and this is all, oh, no, I'm, I can't have dinner with you, family. I <laughs> know, well, exactly. Or my family goes to sleep, and I'm going to stay up till all hours of the night trying to get it done. And then yeah, it's not a good thing. And it's little things. Let's say you're a small firm. And you put this content out there for people to digest. It doesn't even have to be emails. It can be, say, like you're on house. You know, the number of comments that say, what was that throw pillow? What was the color of that backsplash tile? Yeah. The amount right. of time you oh. spend, basically, they're like, I like the tile, but I don't want to pay for someone to actually help me select one. So for free, will you just tell me what this whole palette that you yeah, did? Give me the information that yeah. someone else paid you to do. That's right. You respond to these things, and if and you don't, they're going to so. slay you. They're going to give you yeah. a bad comment. I mean, there's lots of things to where I'll tell people, for every one hour I spend writing an article, I spend nine hours doing everything else. Now, it wasn't that way in the beginning. It was probably more of a 50-50 because it took me, it was agonizing because I worried about what I wrote. I had to learn like how to use the software, like how do I do stuff. Yeah. Everything was learning how to do it. So now I'm much faster at that stuff, and the engagement's gone up even though I write a lot less than I did nine years ago. Those are some of the bad things that can come along. I mean, I can include trolls, but I don't really get that. No, and, I know. and when I do get it, well, sometimes, I don't think, sometimes I think I had it coming. But I think that in general, I don't know that anybody that does this in our profession really has to deal with a lot of trolls. Yeah. To me, the, it's not a negative aspect from your standpoint of you doing the social media, but I think one of the negative possibilities of it is that there's a potential, again, for people to misrepresent themselves in a way. Or I'm the best expert at this thing, and I'm not really, I'm not really an expert at it, but I can play like I am. So let's talk about that a little bit more, less pointedly, but more specifically. Okay. Quantity versus quality. Yeah, kind of what we were talking about earlier with the algorithm shifts and stuff too, that, and this is just my perspective, but in the infancy of all this stuff, it was much more about quality because you had to actually have good content and not that you don't now, but it was more meaningful. Whereas nowadays it seems like it's more about just how much can you produce? How many posts on Instagram can I put out in a day, which yeah. will get me in front of more people, regardless if they're garbage. Yeah. It's all about, it's like yelling at somebody. Oh, yeah. If someone's walking down and I want to get, I'm like, Hey, 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 Hey. Like the more I yell at that person, the more likely I think they're going to look at me as opposed to if I went, excuse me, sir. Would you please? Yeah, exactly. It's almost like it's a screaming contest and it's just who can scream the loudest. doesn't matter if their argument's correct or the best. It's That's just, right. It's just they're the loudest. Or who can, who can last the longest. Let me do this. Let's put a bow on social media. What the takeaway here is financially, you can make it work. It's worth the effort. I ran through the nine years, three and a half million dollars, $940 an hour of effort towards fee generated. $1,500 a day for feed generated. Mm -hmm. Those are real numbers. And I don't think there's many firms that would say, 
that's not worth it. That's not worth my time. The investment on that is not worth it. At that level. At that level. You've got to start somewhere. So money, there's money to be made. Yes. There's real value you can come from it. It takes a lot of time, effort, it's work. It's like real work. It's not the, when I got some extra time, put somebody from HR on this. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't have the, the drive or the motivation to. Or the knowledge. We know what we're talking about, but maybe we're not that good at telling a story. But we don't want to divorce the knowledge from the story. story. So sometimes just an architect doing it's not great. Most of the time, someone that's from PR. Doing it is not great. It's yeah. not great either. I know a contractor. He has a, a non-contractor marketing company that's running his Instagram account. And all the pictures are great, but the words they write are stupid. <laughs> and I go, I wish he would just write the words. Yeah. He's the contractor, not this garbage talk. And, you know, we didn't get into it. We have to get this in. It has to do with the thing that makes my website what it is. And the thing that whenever I stand up in front of a group of people and say, if you want to do what I'm doing, however way you want to do it, you have to make it personal. You have to find a way to make it a first person narrative. And I don't care if you're a big firm or a little firm, people don't connect with brands. So that's the point. It's like, you have to find a way, even if you're 600 person firm, there's still got to be some personal level of yeah. voice to it. I agree. You can't be a robot that has, here's a picture of this. And it says our latest project located in blah. I guess it's like a billboard. Who yeah. cares? Yeah. So, and you also have to be willing to put the time in to do that engagement. And if you don't have the architect doing the engaging, I can't have the person who answers the phone or does the payroll or does HR talk to people about what we do. No, I agree with you. That's really the biggest reason for the success that you had with what you did was that it was all about a single point perspective on the things that we do. And it wasn't. Yeah, it, it did. It was very much personal conversation type thing, not a robot press release type thing. Truth is, I think the reason why that worked is because I did respond to all those emails. I mean, it got to the point where I couldn't, but in the beginning, and that was really important. And I couldn't tell you when the time happened when I was at 35 a day. And when I hit 36, I went, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know when that moment five happened. Five more minutes. God. But it was, I mean, it was years and years, probably five or six years at least that I didn't miss many emails. And if you left a comment, I was right there. I mean, I was as engaged as I could humanly be. And I think that that was part of the success. That definitely matters. That back and forth, fairly instantaneous engagement. Like it didn't go 24 hours. Everything I did was within 24 hours of whatever. Like if you left a comment, you would get a response the next time I was on my lunch break or when I got home from work. And I will admit that I was fairly fanatical about it, but that's just kind of how I go about things. It's like, I'm all in. I'm going to do it the way I think it's got to get done so I can be, I need a monitor improvement. I need to do all those things. Uh -huh. A lot of people don't work that way. And so having that conversational first person narrative, I think is the number one thing that I would try to say to anybody. If you're going to do social media, you have to wait to humanize it. You have to get the first person in there. That's got to be the success factor. Yeah. I think that we should get into the truly entertaining part of the episode. The hypothetical. The hypothetical. This is an easy one, I think. It's short. It's short for us normally. The setup is short. Oh, the setup. I'm sure the discussion can be as long as all the rest. But It sure. could be, but it probably won't. All right, well, let's do it. Would you rather be a famous actor or a famous author? You have a bunch of caveats to this. Once I get my answer again, you're going to be like, well, what about this and what about that? 
Why you you gotta, chose wrong. Why do you got to make the voice like this? Like it's something stupid. <laughs> it's not. It's just that you're always attacking me for my answers. I'm going to go with author. Predictable. That's wrong. It's what I no, I'm saying, just kidding. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not wrong. Don't get me wrong. Actor would be great, but, and that might have been my first inclination, but for me, I think author's fine because it's a little more kind of behind the scenes. Yeah. That's easy. That's predictable for you. It's easier to retreat if you want to. Actors that retreat, they lose everything. Well, I think you could, you can throw out the amount of money for the most part. If I took the top 20 salaries from actors and the top 20 salaries for authors, they're both making enough money where they're okay. Granted, I would say actors probably make more, but at that point, what difference does it make? Do you know, I actually did, I'll tell you this real quick. I did a little research on this. Oh, okay. So if you had to say actor, author, what person made them, not, you don't have to name the person, but which silo, their number one person who made, made the, the most, most money? money? Was it an actor or an author? I mean, I would say actor. Yeah. You know what? Your guess is almost exactly right, but it's wrong. Uh-huh. So it's an author. Really? In like in a year? In one year. So the only time I could actually find data for the limited both. amount of time yeah. for both was 2016. Okay. So this is what's amazing. This blows my mind. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. So in 2016, author James Patterson earned $91 million. Wow. And the top grossing actor for that year was The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, at $65 million. But here's the difference. So number one, author. Yeah. Number two through 21 is actor. Oh. (laughs) And then the the number two author is like number 23. 23 on the list. And the difference between James Patterson's $91 million Mm -hmm. Was this guy named Jeff Kinney? He wrote Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Oh, nice. Nineteen and a half million. That's still not bad. No, it's great. Ninety one, number one, nineteen. That's a big drop. That's a huge drop. So the actors are like sixty five, fifty five, fifty two, fifty, <laughs> yeah, yeah. thirty five, thirty five, thirty. Just sort of counting down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it took a while before you got to nineteen point five. So money's a non issue. Yeah. Money's right. a non issue. So really the question comes down to the anonymity or the ability, like, do you want people to know who you are? Do you want to have a very public life or do you want to have a, a much more private life? Like you could go to the grocery store. I bet that guy, Jeff Kenny can go to the grocery store and no one's mobbing him. <laughs> True. Probably. But I mean, not so if you're JK Rowling, but you know, and probably not. She was number three on the list in 2016, by the way. Well, but yeah, but probably her net several her, years ago or her, her net, net worth, worth is 600 quid, 600 million, by the way. Like Stephen King. He may not have done... Stephen King was number four on that list. In that year. In that year. I think there's still, if you're at that point, there's a level of notoriety that you won't necessarily escape. But I think as a author, if I really wanted to get my jollies, I'd roll into a Barnes & Noble, but I could go to the grocery store and not get hassled, right? That's right. Yeah, if you're Brad Pitt, there's nowhere for you to go. Yeah, nowhere. But if you're... You're J- Jeff Kinney or whatever. If yeah. you're Jeff Kinney, I bet that guy can go to the Lutz of Pizza joint. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. It's people could actually deal. know who he was and they wouldn't be bugging him. Yeah, exactly. Once you get to be that famous as an author, part of me probably feels like the responsibility or the pressure to your next book better be stellar thing is probably worse than for an actor. Because actors can do flop movies and still recover. 
It's not like every movie The Rock was in is the best movie ever. They're all pretty good. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But they're, you know what I'm saying? I mean, like, there's some expectation of, well, they just missed it on that one. But I feel like with authors, that's not how it works. It's like, oh, man, you wrote a bad book. It's the end of your career. I mean, there's probably some truth to it's that. It's harder, certainly harder to recover. Certainly if you're not one of the top, very top guys. Well, and I mean, even still, if you're talking about a fa- world famous, there's still pressure. The sequel to this book better be awesome. Or if you're going to flip genres. Yeah, I think for outsider looking and I think that would be true for sure. But I do think that the actors might say, no, I can tell you it's nerve wracking. Like, when's oh, my next job? I'm sure it is. I'm not saying it's not, but I feel like within the public eye. Sure. I think that they have the opportunity to recover from their bad work. Easier than a. They're like, well, they, it was just a bad role. If you wrote it, they're yeah. like, you own, it's all you. <laughs> or they could be like, man, the director or the, the, the or they blame cut, it on, they could blame it on some of us. They cut out all my parts. Yeah. Or the director of photography, man, just really hosed Terrible. me, <laughs> you know, but you wrote the book. Yeah. That's the that's editor true. cut out all the good parts. No, you can't do no, that, right? no one cares. I mean, you can't. No one cares. There's no, there's no way of getting around it. So I think that, uh, I would also go author, but plus I like to write too, though. I hate writing. I love to write. So that's, that's the reason. Have you written 900,000? Words? Yes. Yes. I bet you haven't. I bet I have. Not on your blog. No, not on my blog. I don't have a work words. I mean, I wrote a... Have you written a a book? 785-page spec book just last week. No, (laughs) that that was probably... Yeah, no. You edited a spec book with content. At some point, I've written that many, but no. I would choose author. Why would you choose author? I'm surprised by that, actually. No, you of all people should know why that would not be surprising. Our whole relationship at this point was built on you getting me out Running of Running interference and, yeah, getting you. Yeah, like Scapegoating I'm, you. You know, I can handle a little bit. I know. But then I hit a window. I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. That's true. So, yeah, you would hate having to always deal with that kind of stuff yeah. nonstop. I don't know how people do it. Some of these more famous people, they're very gracious. They love it so much. They're like, man, I'd sit here and sign autographs. Like, when I went to KBiz two years ago, Vanilla Ice was there. And that guy sat there and wrote autographs signed autographs for like two hours he posed for every picture he was like the nicest guy you've ever seen in your life yeah you wouldn't you can't manage that there's no way but you know what he lived for it like for him this wasn't oh i just got two hours but i'm i'm a nice guy so i'm gonna do it yeah he loved it he's like this is awesome two hours yeah i can go for eight let's do it yeah like all these people love me he loved and i'm like i can't take it because i'm like why i mean i start feeling i'm self-conscious about it and i'm like just a dude and it's not that great settle down yeah but i think maybe at some point that your perception changes although maybe it's just that this is going to be a terrible general stereotypical thing but maybe that the people that end up in those kind of lifestyle choices, actors and stuff, that's what they want. That's kind of what drives right. them. And that, that's the kind of energy they feed off of. I would think you would almost have to be in order to do that. Yeah, like a little bit of limelight there. Yeah. well, that, that, Or a lot, as it were. Yeah, but that sort of feedback is what drives you to be successful. Yeah, you want people to say, that was great. Yeah. You hope that they don't say that sucks, but I bet you'd rather have them say something instead of nothing. Yeah, yeah. Apathy is probably an actor's biggest fear. They're like that. I want you to feel something. <laughs> Maybe. Love it or hate, hate it, it, but, but yeah, don't, don't ignore don't it. Don't ignore it. Well, I'm going to call that a wrap. Thank you for being with us today for episode 27, Social Media for Architects. If you liked today's episode, please take the next 30 seconds 
and head on over to iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast so you can get fresh new episodes automatically downloaded to your podcast player of choice. Please leave us some feedback as we'd really like to hear your thoughts on the show. And a five-star social media is the best rating. If iTunes isn't your player of choice, we're also available on Google Play, Tuned In, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, and a bunch of other platforms. They're all free, and all you have to do is hit the subscribe button on your podcast listening app of choice. Be sure to visit the original lifeofanarchitect.com for show notes, links, info, and photos from this episode. Also, hang around till the end, and we might entertain you with some bloopers. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take it easy, everybody. Cheers. I mean, none of this is going in the podcast. It's super boring. If it iTunes isn't your player of choice. Sorry, I messed that up. If it iTunes. Wait, hold on. What's that? Dork. <laughs> are we okay, going to do this or are we going to sit here and call names? Yeah. Are we going to do this? Let's sit, here, let's sit here and call each other names. <laughs> this is going to be hard because I'm already, oh, I'm out of breath. <laughs> too much dough. I huh? read a sentence. All that pizza. Yeah, too much dough. <laughs> the gluten, the gluten's weighing me down. <laughs> the gluten is killing me. And I'm thinking, you think you had a shot at this? <laughs> yeah, of course you did. Yeah. You know, that road yeah, Kim Kardashian for stay-at-home, you know, mommy bloggers, apparently. <laughs> or a, Shout out to all the mommy bloggers. Shout apparently. out to the mommy bloggers that are crushing Keeping it, it real. Yeah. Going um, 100. <laughs>